Good morning, happy Sabbath, and welcome to another edition of Eyes on Prophecy here on the WSLM Radio Ministry Podcast. I'm Pastor Vince, as usual, and uh, it looks like this is part three in our series of studies entitled God Drew the Plans. If you were with me last week, we really covered a lot, didn't we? We looked at um, some other questions in our study guide, and it looks like we're going to finish our study guide today. We don't have much more to cover, and uh, if we are able to finish our study guide today, uh, this will have been part three in our series entitled God Drew the Plans. Uh, Before we get into uh, today's material, I'm going to do a quick recap of what we covered last week. You know, just a very, very quick recap, and I invite you to scroll back to part two, which was last week, and you can, um, you know, you can dig deeper into what we covered last week. So before I move any further, let us have a word of prayer. Loving Father, thank you so much for this lesson study. Thank you for what you're teaching us. Um, uh, Prepare our, our hearts and minds to receive what you have to show us, what you have to teach us today. Help us to continue to dig deeper into your word concerning the sanctuary service and uh, Bible prophecy in general. We want to be ready when Jesus comes. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So, friend, as I said, I want to do a quick, quick, quick recap of what we went over last week, and then we'll go ahead and move into our study for today. Last week, we covered a few more questions in our study guide. And one of the questions we looked at last week was, why did animals need to be sacrificed in the sanctuary service? And we looked at a couple of uh, texts in the Bible. We looked at Hebrews um, 9 and 22, which says, according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission. And that's Hebrews 9 and 22. We also looked at Matthew 26 and 28 which says, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Again, that's Matthew 26, verse 28. The answer to the question, the sacrificing of animals was necessary to help people understand that without the shedding of Jesus's blood, their sins could never be forgiven. And there's more to the answer, but I'll just give you that quick answer right there. So that was question number eight. We looked at question number nine. Why were animals sacrificed in the sanctuary services and with what meaning? Our Bible verse came from um, Leviticus chapter 1, verses 4 and 11, which say, He shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it will be accepted on his behalf to uh, to make atonement for him. He shall kill it on on, on the north side of the altar. And the answer, uh, the short answer is, when a sinner brought a sacrificial animal to the door of the courtyard, a priest handed him a knife and a basin. The sinner laid his hands on the animal's head and confessed his sins. Again, there's more to the answer. You can scroll back to last week to, to hear the entirety of that answer. And so that was question number nine. Number 10. When a sacrificial animal was offered for the entire congregation, what did the priest do with the blood? What does this symbolize? 
Our Bible verse came from Leviticus 4, 16 and 17, uh, which say, uh, The anointed priest shall bring some of the bull's blood to the tabernacle of meeting. Then the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle it seven times before the Lord in front of the, in front of the veil. Our answer, when a sacrifice was, was offered, the sins of the entire congregation, the blood was taken by the priest who represented Jesus, Hebrews 3 and 1, into the sanctuary and sprinkled before the veil that separated the two rooms. So that was uh, question number 10. Again, the answer, when a sacrifice was offered for the sins of the entire congregation, the blood was taken by the priest who represented Jesus, according to Hebrews 3, 3 and 1, into the sanctuary and sprinkled before the veil uh, that separated the two rooms. So that was question number 10. Uh, question number 11 we uh, looked at it said, based on the sanctuary services, in what two major capacities does Jesus serve his people? What fantastic benefits do we receive from his loving ministry? The answer, Jesus serves as the sacrifice for our sins and as our heavenly high priest. Jesus' death as our sacrificial lamb and substitute and his continual powerful ministry as our heavenly priest accomplished two incredible miracles for us. As I mentioned, this ministry was inspired, uh, or the name of this ministry was inspired by the fact that Jesus, his death as our sacrificial lamb and substitute. So this ministry, as you already know, is called Sacrificial Lamb Ministries. And again, the name was um, inspired by the fact that Jesus was our sacrifice or he was our sacrificial lamb or his death as our sacrificial lamb and substitute. Okay. Um, so uh, I said it accomplished two incredible miracles for us. A, a complete life change called the new birth with all the sins of the past forgiven, according to John 3, 3 through 6, and Romans 3 and 25, and B, power to live right in the present and future. You can look at Titus 2 and 14, Philippians 2 and 13. So as our sacrifice, Jesus brings us a completely transformed life with all sins forgiven. And as our high priest, Jesus gives us the power to live right in the present and in the future. We took a look at what's called righteousness by faith. So what is righteousness by faith? It's something that Martin Luther talked about. If you know anything about Martin Luther, if you know that history, <clears throat> Of the uh, of the Protestant Reformation, um, you can dig deeper on that. You can do a, a study on that. You can do a, 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 a do a search on Martin Luther if you're not familiar with him. But <clears throat> but excuse me. But essentially, what is righteousness by faith? A person becomes righteous by trusting the Savior to do for him what he cannot do for himself. That is this is what is meant by the biblical term righteousness by faith. All right, so we took a look at that last week. <clears throat> and the last question we looked at last week was, what six promises does the Bible give about the righteousness offered to us through Jesus? We learned that he will cover our past sins and count us as guiltless. 
we were created in God's image in the beginning, and Jesus promises to restore us to God's image. Jesus gives us the desire to live righteously and then grants us his power to actually accomplish it. Uh, Jesus, by his miracle power, will cause us to happily do only the things that please God. He removes the, he removes the uh, death sentence from us by crediting us with his sinless life and atoning death. And Jesus assumes responsibility for keeping us faithful until he returns to take us to heaven. So Jesus is ready to fulfill all these glorious promises in your life and in my life. Are we ready? That's what we need to ask ourselves. We need to be ready for when Jesus comes. Now we're going to get into our new material today. We're actually at, um, at question number 13 in our lesson guide. And let's go ahead and, and just jump right into it. The question is, does a person have any role at all to play in becoming righteous by faith? Well, here's what the Bible says from Matthew 7 and 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Again, that's Matthew 7 and 21. So what's our answer? Again, I'll reread the question. Does a person have any role at all to play in becoming righteous by faith? The answer, yes. The answer is yes. Jesus said we must do his Father's will. In the Old Testament days, a person who truly had been converted kept bringing lambs to sacrifice, indicating his sorrow for sin and his wholehearted desire to let the Lord lead in his life. Today, though we cannot work the miracles needed to become righteous, we must daily recommit to Jesus, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 31, inviting him to direct our lives so those miracles can take place. We must be willing to be obedient and to follow where Jesus leads. According to John 12 and 26, Isaiah 1, 18 through 20. Now, our sinful nature uh, causes us to want to have our own way, as it says in Isaiah 53 and 6, and thus to rebel against the Lord, just as Satan did in the beginning. Remember, um, there was a rebellion or I should say, um, Satan, who was then Lucifer, uh, rebelled against the Lord in the beginning, um, according to Isaiah 14, 12 through 14. So permitting Jesus to rule our lives is sometimes as difficult as having an eye plucked out or an arm torn off. Read, you can read Matthew 5, verses 29 and 30, because sin is addictive and can be overcome only by God's miraculous power. That's found in Mark 10 and 27. So friend, yeah, you know, many believe that Jesus will take to heaven all who merely profess salvation. I'll read that again. Many believe that Jesus will take to heaven all who merely profess salvation. It's not enough to just profess salvation, friend, uh, regardless of their, conduct, of their conduct. So there are many people we know um, who say, Lord, Lord, uh, they profess salvation, yet they're just doing the same old thing that they've always been doing. Their behavior hasn't changed. And as we have learned so far, 
we cannot basically work our way to heaven in a, in a, in a nutshell. It is the power of the indwelling Christ that could give us the victory over sin and to be ready for Jesus' second coming, his soon second coming, for us to go to heaven. As I've said uh, probably numerous, uh, numerous times on this podcast and in other video clips I've done across social media, the fact that sin will have no place in heaven. There are many people who, who, uh, um, who presume, and there's something called presumptuous sin. Well, God loves me uh, regardless of, of, of my sin. Um, you know, I don't have to have the victory over that sin or sins in my life. I'm still going to heaven anyway. No, friend. We have to get the victory over sin before Jesus will take us to heaven. So let me continue reading the uh, answer to this question. So where was I? I'll start back here. Many believe that Jesus will take to heaven all who merely profess salvation, regardless of their conduct. But this is not so. It is a deception. A Christian must follow Jesus' example, according to 1 Peter 2 and 21. The powerful blood of Jesus can accomplish this for us, according to Hebrews 13 and 12 but only if we give Jesus full control of our lives and follow where he leads, even when the path might sometimes be rough. Read Matthew 7, verses 13, 14, and 21. So that answers our question, does a person have any role at all to play in becoming righteous by faith? And we said the answer is yes, we must do the Father's will. Jesus said we must do his Father's will. So that's the role that we have to play. But in a nutshell, we have to allow Jesus to fill us. We have to allow the Holy Spirit to fill us to help us to get the victory over sin that we need before we can go to heaven. It's not enough just to profess salvation. Uh, you know, I love the Lord. I love Jesus. Okay, that's beautiful. But have you gotten the victory over sin? Of course, you could not have gotten the victory over sin in your own power. It was the power of the indwelling Christ but the point here is that many profess salvation and continue doing the same old thing over and over and over again, thinking they're still going to heaven. Okay, let's move forward. So that answers that question. The next question, what was the Day of Atonement? The Day of Atonement, that's a very uh, well-known uh, subject, a very known topic, and we're going to you know, dig into it right now in case this is your first time ever learning about the Day of Atonement. So what's the answer? Uh, it's a, um, a two-part answer, really. What was the Day of Atonement? Well, once each year, a solemn day of judgment called the Day of Atonement took place in Israel. You can read about that in Leviticus 23 and 27. All were to confess every sin. Those who refused were cut off forever from the camp of Israel that very day according to Leviticus 23 and 29. The second part of the answer, two goats were selected. One, the Lord's goat, the other, the scapegoat, which uh, represented Satan, according to Leviticus 16 and 8. The, uh, the Lord's goat was slain and offered for the sins of the people, according to Leviticus 16 and 9. 
But on this day, the blood was taken into the most holy place of the sanctuary. We learned about the most holy place. We looked at the furniture in the most holy place. But on this day, the blood was taken into the most holy place and sprinkled upon and before the mercy seat, according to Leviticus 16 and 14. Only on this special judgment day did the high priest enter the most holy place to meet God at the mercy seat. Now the sprinkled blood representing Jesus' sacrifice was accepted by God and the confessed sins of the people were transferred from the sanctuary to the high priest. He then transferred these confessed sins to the scapegoat, which was led into the wilderness. You can read more in the Bible in Leviticus 16, uh, verse 16, as well as 20 through 22. In this manner, the sanctuary was cleansed of the sins of the people, which had been transferred there by the blood sprinkled before the veil and had been um, accumulating for a year. So we learned earlier, we learned last week or a couple weeks ago that the sanctuary, um, or I should say, uh, God's plan of salvation is found in the sanctuary. We've been learning about the sanctuary. God drew the plans this study guide that we're going through is uh, is about the sanctuary, but the bottom line is that the plan of salvation or God's plan of salvation is found in the sanctuary. When we understand the sanctuary, we will understand God's plan of salvation. So I've just gone over the question as just, we just answered the question to what was the day of atonement? It was a two-part answer. And just to recap really quick, the scapegoat represented Satan, upon whom God will place full responsibility for sin. Now, the Lord's goat represented Jesus, who would die for our sins. So that's the answer to what was the Day of Atonement. Our next question, did the Day of Atonement symbolize or foreshadow a part of God's great plan of salvation, as did the other facets of the earthly sanctuary and its services? Did the Day of Atonement symbolize or foreshadow a part of God's great plan of salvation, as did the other facets of the earthly sanctuary and its services? Well, Hebrews 9 and 23 says this, It was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better, sacrifice, with better sacrifices than these. Hebrews 9 and 23. What's the answer to the question? Yes. A strong yes. That day's services pointed to the blotting out of sin by the real high priest, which we know is Jesus, in the heavenly sanctuary. Though his shed blood applied to those written in the book of life, or I should say, through his shed blood applied to those written in the book of life, Christ would confirm the decisions of his people to serve him eternally. This special judgment day, like that of Israel's Yom Kippur, foreshadowed the final atonement to be made for planet Earth. From the yearly symbol of the ancient day of atonement, all of humanity is assured that our faithful high priest, Jesus, still mediates in heaven for his people and stands ready to blot out the sins of those who exercise faith in his shed blood. The final atonement leads to the final judgment, which settles the sin question 
in the life of every individual, resulting in either life or death. So that's the answer to our question concerning uh, the Day of Atonement, uh, symbolizing or foreshadowing a part of God's great plan of salvation. Our, uh, our Bible verse was Hebrews 9 and 23. So we're coming to the end of the study guide, friend, and just a few more things to consider. As we move forward in our future uh, study guides, uh, we'll discover, especially in the next two study guides, that the symbolism of the earthly sanctuary and especially the Day of Atonement foreshadowed momentous events of the end time, which God will bring to pass from the heavenly sanctuary. And uh, concerning the date for the judgment, in the next study guide, uh, we're going to examine a uh, crucial Bible prophecy in which God sets a date. God sets a date for the heavenly judgment to begin. It's going to be a thrilling one. And I hope you join me next week by God's grace as we, as we start our brand new study guide. I'll give you the name of that study guide that we're going to study next week, that we're going to start next week in just a little bit. So here's a question for us as we close out this particular study guide called God Drew the Plans. Our question is, or my question to you is, or even to myself, are you willing to accept truth that might be new to you as God reveals it? Again, are you willing to accept truth that might be new to you as God reveals it? How about that, friend? Are you, are you willing to accept new truth as God reveals it? Are you, ex are you willing to accept truth that you didn't have before? Maybe you had a different understanding of how the sanctuary works or whatever, and now you're hearing some things like, okay, I've never heard this before. Is this true? Um, wow, this, uh, this entirely goes against what I've already been taught elsewhere. This goes against what I've been taught in my church by the priest or by the pastor or whomever. Are you willing to accept truth that might be new to you? Not many people are willing to accept truth or, you know, that might be new to them. Uh, they know what they know. They know what they've been taught in their church or um, or wherever. And they're like, you know what? No, this is no, this is totally different from what I've been taught. It must not be true. But we have to allow the Holy Spirit to guide us and to, you know, to just know that we know that, okay, this is new to me, but um, this is Bible truth. The Holy Spirit is speaking to me that this is his truth. And I can go further into that because there's many things about the Bible that many of us know or have been taught. And then when something new is shared with us, we automatically shut it down. We dismiss it. No, this is not, this is not true. You know, we say, no, this is not true. This can't be true. This is not what I was taught. This is not what I've known for so many years. But friend, we have to be willing to, again, allow the Holy Spirit to teach us things that may be new to us and to lead us to study more and to learn that this new truth, um, or I should say truth that may be new to us. It, it, no, I, I shouldn't say it's new truth. It may be new. It, it's, it's truth that's new to us. We have to be humble and willing to study to learn, you know, to learn more and to maybe eventually find, you know, find out that what we had been taught in the past is not truth. 
I'll leave it there. So let's, you know, so let's consider that question. Are you willing to accept truth that might be new to you as God reveals it? I'll leave you with that question. And that wraps up our lesson study, friend. There's nothing more to go over. Uh, we've completed our lesson, uh, our lesson guide, God drew the plans. Uh, lesson guide number 17 in this series. Um, and uh, uh, this was part three. So we did this particular study guide in three parts. Uh, the past study guides we've gone through, we it took maybe four or five parts to complete. But this one, we did it uh, with the help of the Lord. We did it in three parts. So that's it, friend. Let's wrap up with some prayer. And I'll give you the name of the study guide that we're going to start next week when we come back together. Let us pray. Loving Father, thank you so much once again for this time that we had together. Thank you for all that you've taught us about uh, your sanctuary and um, your plan of salvation. Help us to continue studying deeper because we know there's more that you need to teach us about um, the sanctuary, the Day of Atonement, and your great plan of salvation. We, we just need to understand what we need to do to be saved and to be ready for Jesus' soon coming. Please bring us back together next week for our new lesson study. By your grace, in Jesus' name, amen. Friend, our study guide that we're going to start next week will be study guide number 18. So far... Since we started these uh, study guides, we've gone through number 15, 16. This one was number 17 that we just completed. Number 18 is called Right on Time. Right on Time. Uh, prophetic Appointments Revealed. Again, by God's grace, we'll start that lesson study next Sabbath. Next Sabbath morning, next Saturday morning, right here on the podcast. So please join me next week by God's grace right here on the podcast, same time, as they say, same time, same station, for more of Eyes on Prophecy. This is Pastor Vince. I pray that you have a blessed rest of your day, a blessed weekend. Uh, we're in the holiday season, and uh, so continue to, um, you know, to stay safe. May the Lord be with you, and um, enjoy this special time with your families. Um, we should be spending time with our families Regardless, but yes, this is a special time with our family. So uh, be blessed, take care, and we'll see you by God's grace next week.